all there is. How do you apply spiritual principle in the real world? What are your daily spiritual practices? These are the kinds of questions we'll talk about in this show. Your hosts, Leslie and Tracy, will share their experiences, but also want to learn from your insights, your questions, and your suggestions. So, don't just listen in. Call us with your comments. Good morning, and welcome to Say Yes to Spirit, encouraging you on your spiritual path. I'm Tracy and Leslie, and we are so glad you joined us today. Our theme this morning is going to be family, family, and what does saying yes to spirit have to do with family? Does it make it easier? (coughs) Does it make it more difficult? Uh, I bet we'll talk about both. So I'm so glad you joined us, and we always start the show with a uh, connection back to our most recent topic, and last week we talked about walking your talk, talk. and um, is there any connection between walking your talk and family? You know, there is for me, because I can't walk my talk with the family. I can do it with everybody else, but, right, it's easier for me to... Walk the walk with friends and myself, but when it comes to my family, oh no, that's very hard. <laughs> that's my connected dots is I can't really walk that talk as uh, easily with my family of origin, I should say, my birth family, so to speak, versus your chosen my family chosen, yes, uh, my, as yes. adults who. Well, cool. Well, that's the connection. <laughs> Let's take a <laughs> break. And we'll connection. come back and jump into family. The beginning and end. This is Say Yes to Spirit, encouraging you on your spiritual path. Family, family, is that our topic today? You, that uh, is. I think uh, last week Tracy said something about, uh, she texted me and said, do we do family this week because we talked about different topics. And I said, no, I need a week to prepare to talk about my family. And now here it is, and I haven't done anything, you know, to anything different. <laughs> right. It was, it's so different than if you had walked in last uh-huh. week, and uh-huh. here, here we go. Somehow that whole family, that just seems to bring up something outside of saying yes to spirit. It seems to, it seems to be the, um, the, uh, the kryptonite to my spiritual program. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Well, you know, last week I laughed because, yes, I sent you the text message, and I said, and I listed two topics. And you said, actually, I said family, and we did walk the talk last week. So of the topics we had talked about, I said, you know, this one and this one. And, yeah, you when you replied, just subconscious, was totally in control and said, no, I need a week before I can do this. And I thought, well, that's really interesting because when when we originally wrote down the topic or theme of family, I mean, I didn't, you know, it didn't trigger anything for me, <laughs> and no it didn't. Brag. No, no, uh-huh. it didn't trigger anything for me, which is interesting because, and then when you responded the way you did last week, I thought, oh, <laughs> I, I had never thought really about family that I would be like talking about 
my birth family. I was thinking about family in terms of, ah. you know, just the generic conversation uh-huh. about uh-huh. when you say yes to spirit, it brings you closer to or your family gives you ways to practice it. Mm-hmm. But I didn't have any, like, immediate, you know, oh, because this is where, <clears throat> you know, this story goes or this that story goes. I even thought about family in the terms of, yeah, when you say yes to spirits, you create a new family uh-huh. in your spiritual community. Sure, sure. I mean, I thought about lots of things, but nothing that, you know, made me kind of take a deep breath. And then when you took a deep breath last week, it was like, oh, well, maybe I don't want to talk about family. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I could share, share the, uh, your, the irritation or anxiety or something about it. Yeah, well... But um, that went away pretty quickly. But it is interesting how, you know, the family of origin, for me, I guess the family of origin uh, themes or, uh, you know, patterns that were created young, 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 continue on. And um, and I uh, lead this group at the Dallas County Women's Jail, and one of the other uh, teachers this last week we were talking about self-esteem and we went through an exercise of um, writing down patterns of things that we say to ourselves in our head and who originally said that to us. Right. And the other facilitator is a 68-year-old woman and she had this pattern of her father saying, you're never going to amount to anything. And, you know, her life is a living example of the opposite of that. But that still, she still believes that. And it was so interesting to hear her talk. And he's been dead 40 years, she said. 40 years the man's been dead. And, you know, her life is absolutely opposite of that message. Yet on some core level, she still feels like she's not ever going to amount to anything. And, you know, from the outside looking in, like, that is just so screwed up. You know, how can how can you know, the father you know have that much influence you know and be dead and and the obvious things when it's someone else and then when it's me. At least my mother's still alive, so I can you know use that as my excuse. But um, you know, it's powerful those those early messages that we get from our parents or our nuclear family that that we then choose to take on and live. Obviously, at some point, it becomes our choice. But. Yeah, except that when it's so deeply ingrained, like you said, when mm-hmm. it's those subconscious beliefs, you're not really making a choice because you don't know anything else. I mean, you know, you don't think about it. You don't, you don't consciously, things, yeah. it's in your subconscious, so you don't consciously think about it. And when that voice comes up and says, oh, you'll never mount anything, right? you go, wait, where's that coming from? But there's a part of you that really believes it because you took it in so long. And, and you're not um, you didn't you didn't come to the Wednesday night class at the center at for the spiritual center living. for spiritual living in Dallas. And it's interesting because um, right now the series is a six or seven week series on the happiness factor, <laughs> and a huge part of the time this past Wednesday night was about the subconscious messages that we learned right. when we were. First, before we were verbal, so, you know, zero to two, and then from mm-hmm. age two to, you know, eight or ten, all the other messages you get that people either said around you a lot mm-hmm. or were just ingrained in you through all the ways we pick up stuff, you know, through media, teachers, school, church, that when you're, you know, you're too young to really have logical the logical capacity to say, well, that's not true. And so it's just all going in, and you don't have the ability to say, no, that's not true, or no, that's not who I am. You don't have that until you're much older, you know, in your teens or 20s if you're lucky. But by then, um, you know, you've already taken in 10 years, 12 years, 14 years of messages. Um, that totally are ingrained in your subconscious. Well, but at some point, I mean, for me now, I know all of this, you know, 
mind stuff and thought stuff and how to re um, re reprogram my patterns, you know. If you if you can see the pattern. If I can see the pattern, I see the pattern. I see the pattern. Okay, then you have no excuse. I know, I see that, and I think that's the most fascinating part. And this woman could see the pattern. I mean, she went all the way through school. She see <laughs> And, you know, and, and that is, that to me, that's why it makes family such an interesting topic, because it seems to be the, you know, the, Achille, the Achilles tendon, what is it, the Achilles heel? Achilles heel. You know, that one, that kryptonite, that one thing, it's like that rock that just can't be worn away, you know? And I, don't you know? But it, I know. It feels like that rock that can't be worn away. And I also know that there's got to be something, now that I do know the pattern and I am aware of it, you know, there's something that I can get out of reinforcing it. Because now I'm reinforcing it. Well, mom, alive or dead, you know, mom is not that, you know, I'm not two years old anymore. And so it's my reinforcing it. Yeah, except I don't know. I think that, you know, I think you're, I, I don't know, you may be doing exactly what's right for you. But when things are in our subconscious so deeply, uh-huh. you can on a conscious level know better. And when you see it or when you recognize it, you can do an intervention. But that doesn't make it go away. You, you you know, it's that thing we talk about of when you're when you're choosing something new you have to keep choosing it more than what the old was. Right. So if from age, you know, if you were 25 when you finally saw the pattern, right? for 25 years, over and over and over, thousands and millions of times, mm-hmm. that message in your subconscious has had a life. <laughs> and so not it, sounding very hopeful. Well, no, so it doesn't mean that it's going <laughs> to take 25 more years to totally reverse it. But here's what I believe about that. I believe that once we see the pattern, we do start reversing it and we make a different choice. But every time that pattern is playing, we don't notice it. It's so insidious. It's so so much in your subconscious that when a big thing happens, uh-huh. you go, wait, wait, stop, wait, that's not me. That's not who I am in the world now. But there may have been a hundred times where that message was from a subconscious level driving what you did or said, and you didn't even notice it, even once you're aware of the bigger pattern. Right. And so I can be choosing something every time it happens in a way I notice it, but I'm not even I'm not even catching it when I'm just caught up in the moment or I'm just reacting, and so in that sense it's gonna keep happening because that's that's the default. That's the reinforcement. My new choice is not the default yet. It's yes. still a conscious choice. It's it's conscious incompetence at work. You know, it's mm-hmm. a conscious choice. And then the other thing, the other reason that I think it's not just so automatic and you're not necessarily reinforcing it, you're just not seeing it. Mm-hmm. And the reason I think that's true is because, you know, we, and you've had this experience, and many of our listeners have too, where you've made a new choice, you're going in a different direction, and it's generally working really well. Okay, It's working with your friends is working yourself, and then that primary trigger comes, and you go, "I'm right back in you know at eight years old again, and you handle it differently, and you do that a number of times, and then you realize there's another layer under it, and you work that and you work that, and then you realize there's another layer under it. And so a lot of times what what I have experienced thinking, oh, I've got this now, oh, I understand why I do that, I'm not going to do that anymore. And then, you know, I get consistently better, and I don't even think about it, and then uh, seven years later, five years later, ten years later, it looks like I'm doing the same thing, reacting, and then I realize, oh, but I'm not really reacting to that. There was a layer under that that's now coming to the surface. But on the surface, it looks like I'm reacting to that exact same thing. Yes. The layers. But I had to get to through layer one, two, and three to get to layer four, 
and darn it, I'm so tired of, you know, in my mind, I'm like, uh-huh. I'm so tired of, of this happening. Why is this happening every five years, or every seven years, or every five days? <laughs> you know, why? Yeah. It's because, oh, now I've broken through, and I'm applying my spiritual practices. I really have healed the level at which I could heal, mm-hmm. but I can't heal any deeper until I go deeper. And it may look like the same statement, you know, that my sister said to me or the same incident, you know, that's in my head. It may look like it's the same, but it's really a deeper level. Yes, and like you said, to go back to that original, you know, those un- in fact, I think it's interesting to think about studies have shown when you get that message when you're nonverbal. That's really powerful. Did they talk much about that Wednesday night? Mm-hmm. Yeah, started with that and did a big verbal. piece on that. Because mm-hmm. um, those messages are really extraordinary in people that have had, you know, trauma, especially trauma when they're nonverbal. That can be, you know, a lot of layers, a lot, a lot of layers. Yeah, and so much of what happens when you're nonverbal you don't even remember. I mean, you well, don't. Consciousness. Right. You don't know because you didn't even have words to notice it was happening then. So, yeah, from the things that happened when you in delivery, when you were being birthed, to, like you said, trauma. <laughs> I'm laughing because I hear these um, these rebirths. That's a real big thing now. And I shouldn't laugh because I'm sure there are people that get a lot of help from that. But it's an interesting concept to go back to that, you know, the idea of being rebirthed. And I do think, even as a therapist, I still think there is a lot of, we do focus a lot on, you know, the things that didn't go well in the family. The things that, you know, and and I certainly, you know, have uh made a fairly decent living off of that in years past, you know, helping people focus on what didn't go well. <laughs> but, um, you know, it would be an interesting twist, you know, to take my own advice or my own idea and maybe see to focus on, you know, did something go well? And I think there's, you know, there's a few women in the prison that I work with that I can absolutely probably say, eh, they could answer that. No, nothing really went well. You know, their lives were, they didn't have any adult support or vision person, you know, any anybody around them, but that's not the case with me. If I looked at it, I could absolutely see probably 70% of it went well, you know. And But why am I choosing to focus on that 30% that didn't go well? And by golly, you know, I've got a very interesting story around that 30%, and I oh, yes. really, and it is I want to tell people, right. right, you know, I want to meet new people just so I can tell them about Betty, my mother, that I call Betty. Um, and so... You know, that is an interesting thing for me to look at. If I'm saying yes to spirit, then that's saying yes to the good, yes to the truth, yes to love, yes to life and light. And so I'm saying yes to all those positive things except for my family. I'm saying yes to the dark and the evil and the nasty and the, you know, the humanness, which is also another thing. As I think about with the family, you know, they're, you know they have their own journey. I have, Yes, we have this biological connection, but why do I feel particularly responsible, you know, to make mother happy or particularly responsible for these five people in my life, aside from, you know, other five people? And how does all of that... And why do you expect them to feel responsible Well, that, they you? should be responsible yeah. for me, yes. Uh-huh. That, that, that should be the case. They should. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That you know what's interesting. There are two very interesting things that I didn't know were going to happen related to this topic. Mm-hmm. Isn't that the way every week always, goes? Always, always. So one is, and I've you've heard me talk about it before, and I think on the show I've referred to a couple of times um, when I was maybe eight and died, and you know came back, and that was one of the or the most powerful message that I got from that experience was that my mother and father were simply human. Mm-hmm. I right, and they were doing the best they could, and they weren't responsible for me, that I'm responsible for me and what I do with my life. 
And, you know, but in a really gentle way, not a judgmental way, just right. kind of a wake up, right. this is the reality. Right. And they're responsible, you know, for safety and food and that kind of stuff, but they're not responsible for the core mm-hmm. of who I am. And that I didn't need to judge them and I didn't need to, I needed, you know, to have realistic expectations of who they are and that that didn't have anything to do with me. And and that was really powerful, of course, even though I couldn't articulate it. At eight. Yeah. Right, in the way that I'm articulating it now, it's like, Oh, I just got it. And it and the you know, good side of that is that generally I was able to live in that way and definitely by the time I got to be an adult. And I there was a distance between me. How about a detachment? Yes. A detach right. A healthy detachment. Right. Not yeah, not a distance yeah. but right, but a healthy detachment from being so wrapped up right. in seeking their approval right. or in feeling like I had an obligation to them beyond respect. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that didn't mean it eliminated all of that, which leads to the second thing that I didn't have any idea would happen, let alone that I'd be sharing it on the show. So last night I went to an event uh, that's part of a project called the Harmonic Alchemy Project. And the Harmonic Alchemy Project, I'll talk a little bit more about, maybe. Um, (laughs) I mean, you know, if you're interested. Um, But it is, it's it's the idea that harmonics and sound Uh change, you know, have an alchemical or chemical, have an actual link between our subconscious and our being. So it's a sound healing kind of process. Yes. Okay. Which we can do with crystal bowls. We can do with all kinds of things. And they combine all these two guys, they combine all these different sounds. Okay. But with a purpose, and they've done all this science research. So they're combining, like, the metaphysical and the science. Nice. And the project is um, every month this summer they're doing a different sound healing event with a different theme and last night the theme was compassion or the opening of the emerald heart and compassion and love and we went through this process and near the end of the process I found myself having a conversation with my dad who's been dead maybe I don't know, 23 years or something like that. Right. And uh, on a spiritual level, and it was amazing. Love it. And um, and basically, the one of the things that he said to me, one of the messages was, well, he apologized for something that he did that actually was very humiliating to me or for me right. as a kid. Okay. And... He basically said, you know, here's why I was doing this. You were a very timid child. You, um, I was concerned that you might not speak up when you needed to and kind of ask for what you want or, you know, claim what you should have. And so I was making you do that because I wanted I was. I thought I was helping you. His intention was right. good, and his intention was so good yes. for for helping me as a parent, preparing me for what I might experience when my parents weren't around. Right, and um, and you know, it was like a whole different thing. Of really interesting, <laughs> you saw it a different way. Really, are you serious? I like it. It's like, oh, okay, I totally get that because I can remember how I was at that age, and it did it work? It absolutely didn't work. No, because it didn't work. It didn't work at all. It had the exact opposite effect. Oh my! Because I was, you know, humiliated, and I took all of these self worth things from it, and you know, yeah, no, it didn't work at all. Right. But, you know, it was interesting, that we're, and now we're 
and I wasn't even thinking last night about the fact that we were going to talk about family mm-hmm. today, but when you said, you know, family of origin, it's like, yeah, those connects, those hooks mm-hmm. are there. And when we say yes to spirit, even when we forgive, even when we go from love, the hook is still there. So, I mean, this was an issue that I've worked through with therapy, I've worked through in spiritual counseling, I've worked through in self-mastery, I've worked through in inward journey, and always gotten to a deeper level. And then still there was like a whole other level that wow. was there. So Interesting. So I think, you know, I think family, when we say yes to spirit, we say yes to being influenced by our family. And we say yes, that these are the right people for me to learn the lessons I need to learn. And that sometimes that sacred contract piece, you know, of uh, we sign up to be this a sister who helps Leslie have this experience. I sign up to be a brother who is um, going to make sure Tracy has a certain experience, a certain quality or a certain um, value that she experiences as a result of her relationship with me. It is such an interesting mind shift. Because I actually believe that. And, you know, I can can so easily jump from one belief to another to another. And when I believe it, I'm wholly in it. And then, you know, when I change my belief, I'm wholly in that. But because I actually do philosophically believe that that contract, sacred contract, cosmic soup, whatever you want to call it, that there is something on a higher plane that's agreed to and signed up for and volunteered for, as you say, that each person in my life is there by design to give me mm-hmm. a gift. Mm-hmm. And if it's um, through my drama trauma with my uncle of sexual abuse, if I frame that in terms of that there was a sacred contract coming in, that that was his soul's, you know, gift to me, doesn't that just turn that whole thing on the ear? You know, if you if I say that, when I say that, you know, initially the reaction years ago when I first started thinking, I was like, oh, are you kidding? Are you no nutty? Way. Are you out of your mind? And then as I really looked into the concept and I thought more about it, it is in line with my kind of intuitive knowing that, if by design everything is absolutely designed to, for my highest good, and if this human experience is truly, in my belief and experience, to to really kind of wallow around in the experimental nature of being human, what better way to to you know learn and to experience than to have something really dramatic? And I can I can really embrace that. Philosophically, and I can I can really absolutely, you know, see that, yeah, absolutely do that. And then, you know, on a day-to-day grind-to-grind kind of thing, I'm like, oh, what the hell, though? You know what I'm saying? It's still the, the practicing of it, the, you know, living in congruence with my own belief system, you know, is the, is the rub, right? Cause, and I'm sitting here going, wow, that's right. I had I had forgotten that I believed that. When you said that sacred contract, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. Yes, oh so. yeah, that's that. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. That's, that's right. That's I think, Betty. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So, so it's so interesting to me how easily I can forget, and how you know significant. This is yet another example of how significant rituals, routines, this radio show, friends, community things that are designed to help me remember. You know, it's not as if I have to relearn it. I just have to be reminded. I just have to be triggered back to ultimately the intuitive. And it's interesting when you read metaphysical, when I've read metaphysical books, it seems like the first paragraph or two of the book always says, you are so special because you picked this book up. You know, it's right, like just the right. very fact, the mere fact that you picked this book up. 
And I think that is true because on some level when things call out to us, they're connecting on a level that we don't even understand right. that we don't that we that we know. And as we read, it just deepens that awareness that is already there. Yes. <laughs> but still, how do I get you know, get rid of Betty's voice in my head? Right, you know, practically speaking, right, right, right. It's so funny. Like everything else, mm-hmm. you don't focus on getting rid of anything. <laughs> ah, you focus on choosing what you want. <laughs> go to a war on drugs, go to a peace rally. Exactly. Oh, okay. Exactly. Exactly. So focus on what you want. Mm-hmm. Focus on what you want. Focus on what you want. That's the message over and over, over and over. <laughs> So much easier to say mm-hmm. than do, and you know this concept—the concept of of creating my own family, having my family of choice—and that's a that's a big catchphrase. Um, and coming up with Father's Day tomorrow, people, you know, or Sunday, is that tomorrow? <laughs> In real time, if you're listening live, if you're listening to this archived, it might not be tomorrow, but. Um, I always hear, or you know, as a therapist, we always use that term, family of choice, as kind of a caveat for those of you who have horrible fathers, or you know, had a distant father or an absent father or something. You know, you can always have a father of choice. You can always, you know, make up God as your father. You can make up, you know, the the friendly man next door. So it's always interesting to me how I try to you know, fix or pretty up or, you know, find a solution for instead of just accepting. You didn't, Tracy almost laughed out loud, but she didn't stop. Uh, Yeah, instead of just accepting this is this and then kind of moving on beyond it. Because I spent a lot of time, you know, trying to put that bow on that, you know, piece of poop tape. Instead of just saying, oh, that was a piece of poo-poo. I'm going to move on now. I don't have to look at the poo. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to, you know, continue to live in it. I can just let it be what it was, or even perhaps where it is, and then just go forward. That's a choice. That is a choice. But, you know, our society, and not just in the the U.S. to a certain degree, but in other cultures even more, society teaches us, socializes us to believe that, you know, blood is thicker than water, mm. you, you you are, you know, you are supposed to, you know, be enmeshed, really enmeshed in your family and in your family of origin. And, and then so many people, you know, the TV and the media image of what family was supposed is supposed to be like, mm-hmm. you know, there's pressure. There's pressure in all parts of society for families to look a certain way, act a certain way, be a certain way with one another. So there, you know, I think some of that internal drive to do that is really just a reflection of all of what we were talking about, you know, those messages that we get before we have a logical mind that goes, this makes no sense, this is not healthy for me, and I'm making a different choice. And then when we have that thought, then we feel guilty because, mm-hmm. again, it's it's the exact opposite of so much of what we learned subconsciously as well as the conscious messages we were taught. So when I was laughing, I wasn't laughing at what you were saying, but what you said about family of choice, oh, and that, and and it was like, what did you say that it triggered? Um, Family of choice, and then you made the reference to, like, trying to pretty it up. Yes. So um, about five years ago, I got reconnected with a guy who I knew in high school, and I went went on one date with him, Uh just one. And um, so we weren't really a couple. We weren't an item, but we went to a school event together. And um, I had not seen him for 35 years maybe. Wow. Uh Had not talked to him, had not seen him, had had no contact with him. So we got reconnected, and and then when I was in D.C. on a trip, 
about five years ago, we got reconnected in person. And we were sitting having dinner, and I asked him something like, now how did that really happen? Because I don't really remember asking if I could go to this homecoming dance. I I don't remember asking because I was young. We had certain rules in our family, you know. Oh, asking your family. I wasn't old enough. You know, there was a certain age you had to be, like, to date and to get phone calls and all of that. And I wasn't old enough. So I I don't even remember asking because it would the kind of kid I was was if you tell me the rules, I'll stay within those rules. But if I want to do something and there's not a specific rule about it, then I'm just going to do it because, you know, rather than ask and get a no, Uh I would do it. But there was a specific rule around dating. So I'm like, I don't remember because it would have been emotional and tense and I would have had to agonize over it for days. And I didn't go through all of that. So I asked him, I said, you know, I'm really surprised. I don't even remember asking if I could go. And he said, you didn't. He said, your mother was the meanest woman I ever oh, met. Goodness. And I and I just fell out laughing. Oh. I mean, you know, it wasn't a, it oh. wasn't a, well, for me, of course, it was like, yeah, I already knew that, but, you know, <laughs> no big deal. It was funny to hear him say that, you know, 35 years later. And he said, what happened was I asked if I could take you to this dance, and she said, I need to talk to your mother. And so my mother said to him, when he asked my mother if he could take me to this dance, oh, she talked my to mother, mother said that she didn't know and she didn't know him and she didn't know that and she had to talk to his mother. His mother. Oh, wow. Your mother. Okay. And so apparently the mothers got together ah. and had this conversation and next thing I knew I was going to this dance. But that made me laugh when you said, you know, we make up these stories and we kind of put a ribbon on the poo. Uh And it's like, well, when he said your mother was the meanest, you know, woman, I was like, yeah. You know, I didn't didn't feel any need to pretty it up. Uh I didn't feel any need to deny it or to counter it. Not so much because I don't think she was the meanest woman in the world. I'm really clear about that. She was one of the nicest women to strangers, <laughs> not so much inside the family, mm-hmm. you know, privacy. Um, but I could see both. I could see that she had this giving, loving presence, and I could see that I wasn't the recipient of that. Right. So for him to say that, I, it was just kind of like, oh, yeah, I don't have to pretty it up. And that's what made me laugh. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, it is interesting how much time we do spend, though, Pretty it up. Pretty it up or trying to make, a, you know, a family of choices to saying, you know, I have a nice group of loving friends now or something. You know, we, we still connect that word family. We're, I'm still looking after. I'm still hunting down for that perfect family. I'm going to create it, Fathers, you know. Father knows best. Yeah. yeah. It could be yeah. the Huxtable. Right, right. Depending on what generation. Thank God. The black people, y'all finally got a family, right, with the Huxtable. <laughs> <laughs> you need a family, finally. But it is interesting. We we want that. I want that. And and I, I spend so much time trying to do that. It's interesting instead of just accepting what is and moving forward. Well, and, you know, neither of us have children. And so it's interesting, but I just was thinking about, you know, when you then become a parent mm-hmm. and you're still trying to pretty up your family of origin, mm-hmm or trying to make your kids and your family right. be the perfect family. It's like that that's a little crazy making. Oh my goodness, yes. And it continues on generationally. And that's when you really need to say yes to spirit. Really I mean, you know, yeah. it's like kind of what is what it what is is and wouldn't it be fabulous to be in a family where you are having the human experience inside and outside the family, but the common thing, the the constant natural reaction is to keep going back to how do we say yes to spirit as this is happening to us. Right, right. 
And certainly there are families that that model that. You know, I have some friends that I see raising their children that that, you know, may be really hard even in the moment for them, but they do, at least they're able to, you know, verbalize that. You know, if they want to be pulling the kid's hair out or telling the kid something really negatively, they're smart enough, you know, to stop that verbal message and give the different message. And so um, it's fun for me to see some of these young people that I know peripherally to have, you know, to see their reaction to life is so much different because they have had a different message being given to them. So um, are you, you wrote a devotion a while back about the little girls in having dinner and and the younger the older daughter helping the younger daughter and then the younger daughter oh, spills uh, the milk. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And you know and the reaction being so okay, well we can fix this and the mom coming yeah. you know, like this is no, not no a big deal. Right. You know, oh okay, we can be more careful, we can clean this up. But none of this, you idiot, you right. stupid, you right. know, why would you do this? You're always right. so clumsy. You right. know, none of the things that so many of us would revert to. Right. And I, I think that that doesn't mean that mother never gets angry, right. I'm sure. Right, right. But isn't that a great example mm-hmm. of how when you are saying yes to spirit every day, you're less likely to react simply from right. a human perspective, right. she reacted in love. In love, right. She knew that that young child did not spill her milk on purpose. Right, right. And that might have been a little different if that was, you know, the two-year-old going through the tantrum, and, no, I don't want this, no, I don't want this, no, Mommy, I'm not going to do it, and throwing the milk. Yeah. I mean, maybe a little different mm-hmm. reaction. I love you, and that's not acceptable. <laughs> no, it, you know, it's a battle of the wills at that point. So it is fascinating, and it's fascinating how those messages, again, as we said in the beginning of the show, they get reinforced along over the way and, and, over, uh, and over, over again. Over again. And the automatic. I actually since you said a devotion. I do have a devotion that isn't really about family, but it's about the concept we were talking about uh, over and over again. Mm-hmm. The title is automatic pilot. Mm-hmm. My mind wondered about my upcoming day, things left undone from yesterday, curiosities of who I will see at church. Suddenly, I my hand flicked on my blinker, and my body moved my car over three lanes of traffic just in time to make my exit. I drive the same route to meditation every morning. This morning, my mind was not aware of where I was, but my body is conditioned to do the same thing every morning. So it went on automatic pilot and took control of my car. I realized my spiritual practice is much like this. When I get in a daily routine, my day goes on spiritual automatic pilot. I seem to know intuitively what to do next, and things unfold exactly as needed. I have a hunch God is expressed through my spiritual automatic pilot. When I practice my daily spiritual routine, morning after morning, I get to relax and let God take control. And I really think that in a strange way, that is how, that's the only way I know to reprogram those messages that I got from my family of origin is that constant, consistent, daily thing. I keep hoping for the, you know, transformative Eckhart Tolle wake up in the morning Everything's different. Haven't gotten that yet. You never will. I just believe I believe I have to work at it, right? Exactly. Well, until you give up that belief, you can't have that experience. Right. So if you start replacing that belief with, Mm -hmm. I will wake up, I will have an Eckhart Tolle enlightenment moment. Boom. And then you believe that more, then you believe you have to work at it. Day after day after painful day. <laughs> and there is a certain amount of joy, though, that comes into once it gets into an automatic pilot, you know, because I can see the benefit of it. Because I have had that transformative feeling, mm-hmm. you know, as a result of all of my hard, hard, hard work, <laughs> daily grind of spiritual practice. 
or different spiritual communities that were doing spiritual practices, I still saw it as my as my spiritual community. And of course, right now, being very involved at Center for Spiritual Living Dallas and being involved in the um, Science of Mind movement nationwide, it it's very interesting to think of this is my spiritual family. It's a different, it's a new experience for you. Um, yeah, think it's, of it it's in very terms different. Of individual, yeah. these core 200 people versus... Right, but but that's the experience I had growing up. So it's not a it's not a um, it's not an unfamiliar experience. Okay, because growing up, I grew up very much a part of a spiritual family in one specific church, and you know felt really connected uh-huh. to this community of a few hundred people. Um, but I haven't had that exact frame, that mm-hmm. framework around spiritual family in a long time. And sometimes now, while if you say spiritual family, that's the image that's going to come to me right now. Uh-huh. When I'm in conversation, it literally only takes me four or five minutes in a conversation to go, yeah, all, that's well and good, and this, there's this bigger community or family that we are a part of. The world. And, well, so at Center for Spiritual Living Dallas, then that becomes, there are five, four centers in our geographic area. And then in the state of Texas, there. Oh, I see. And then the next concentric circle would be, you know, in the nation. And then the next concentric circle would be the Centers for Spiritual Living worldwide. And then the next and so it's like it goes out in these rings, like the ripple effect when uh-huh. you, what is it, when you do the rock? The rock, rock in the water, in the, the pond, yes, very good. Thanks. And, um, you know, it's like I see that so clearly. I see it on a conscious level. It's not just an idea. Before. Yeah, it's like I see it. And then, you know, that circle of the entire world, um, it, you know, is there, but it's like, six or seven rings out. So I, I I think our spiritual family is what really helps us say yes to spirit. Yes, it absolutely can be a, um, a reinforcer of saying yes to spirit and a comfort zone, you know, sort of a gentle a gentle place to bounce up against and to have the, the experience of support of human, God in human form. <laughs> comfort zone even when they're pushing you to okay stop it just stop it <laughs> don't do that anymore you know better that's not what you're choosing yes. stop <laughs> yes 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 it doesn't feel so comfortable <laughs> and you signed up for it you signed up for it when you kind of come into people's lives and that you know ask them to be that uh, reminder right that reminder I don't know if I ask people, but I do give them permission. <laughs> I don't know ask for the reminder, but, you, you know, you definitely have permission to remind me because I know you can handle it if I say, I don't want to hear that right now. And there is something familial about that in terms of, you know, we know each other well enough and are comfortable with each other to know. Because at the end of the day, most families, you know, that's the the person that ultimately you know you fall back on to, that will have your back when push comes to shove, and so the spiritual community certainly plays that out in terms of you know there's not really any any final sin or ultimate thing that you can do that will cause you to you know be totally ousted from the clan so to speak that spiritual community. You say that. <laughs> I guess. I'm just thinking about all the families I know where People there is, uh, yeah, it's like, okay, no, that is what you just did or said, you know, you're just, no, you're not part of this family. We will not treat you as part of this family anymore. We will not recognize you. Um, I think that's part of our myth 
mm-hmm. in society that families won't do that. But I mean, think of all the people you've counseled who have experienced that. Sometimes because they may have consciously or intentionally done something like stealing from the family mm-hmm. to support the their drug habits, you know, or unintentionally when you think of people who married outside of you know their family's race or or religion mm-hmm. and their families disowned them and didn't have anything to do with them for years and years. True enough on that. Think of the cosmic contract those people made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know that is that is an interesting thing that certainly I, actually now I think about it, I have an aunt that was disowned by her family because she married a man who wasn't Catholic, and three months ago she died and supposedly on her deathbed and she was in Kentucky, but um, supposedly on her deathbed she told her 58 year old son, you know I'm going to purgatory because I turned away from my faith 60 years ago, and so on some level. Her family shunning her, she had internalized that, and you know, at the moment of her death, believed she was going to this this unrested place. And uh, so, yeah, that's very powerful. Can't take all that back. Those bastardized families for you know, sticking, kicking someone out of the clan. <laughs> those are really bad families, right? Well, it is interesting, though. That is true. It would be, and that would be an interesting message to re, uh, rebound from. If you're kicked out of the nuclear family, how does that fit with the terms of creating a family of choice? Or, you know, the concept we had talked about this, but the concept of God being a father, and sort of labeling God in human terms, and giving God a familial. Yeah. Right. And you need to please God or you'll go to hell or you'll go to purgatory or you you won't go to heaven and live with God. So, um, yeah, those, for people who have those beliefs that put the, that, that layer the human quality and the human experience on this, you know, all power ever present, all knowing spiritual energy, then the concept of spiritual family and spirit as family is rife with all of the human experiences right which are so different than what the spiritual reality truth is and um yeah it it can be pretty complicated yes and it can take that idea if you can get kicked out of the family then certainly god could kick you, you out of the spiritual family, family yeah. But at the end of the day, the more we say yes to spirit, the more we look towards that, I think the more we get into connection with, you know, as you said, this all all energy, all love, all good, all good family. The family of all good. <laughs> so that pretty much wraps up our conversation on family, from family of origin to family to spiritual family and how when we say yes to spirit, it can make it all work out just fine. And that is kind of how it matures, isn't it, from your family of origin to creating a family of choice to ultimately coming to the understanding that we're all one in the spiritual family. I like that. I like that a lot. Charles Wright said, when we realize we are... Family, then we'll come up with real solutions. Ooh. So that's it on family next week. We're going to um, revisit or visit our show on heaven. And uh, so if you were looking forward to that show a couple of weeks ago, please join us next week. And uh, until then, say Say yes to the spirit.
Alexa, play Whitney Houston. Okay. With Amazon Music, a voice is all you need. Get access to over 50 million songs. Download the Amazon Music app today.